Welcome to the program. Thank you very much for being with us. Mr. Castello, you're going to be running the show. Thank you very much, Francisque and Judy. Appreciate you to everybody around the world watching on ePartrade and Racer.com and on YouTube. Hello and welcome. We are joined by the CEO of the Music City Grand Prix, Jason Rittenberry, who I know for many years. <laughs> excited about this. And also, Jason, this is my final seminar of Industry Week. So it's like happy hour for me. So, you know, forgive me if I have too much fun, but I, well, I just think, go ahead. I was going to say it is 4.30 your time on a Friday afternoon. So it technically is happy hour already. That is true. That is true. But I'll try to hold it together, everybody. And if you got a question for Jason, by all means, put it in the chat section and we'll uh, we'll hit him with it because he has been he's done so many things. First of all, Jason, I want I would love for you to give your rapid fire um, where you started, where you were and how you got to where you are now, because like right off the top of my head, you've worked at um, some grassroots facilities and elevated up to some of the best facilities on the planet, and now are the CEO of uh, the Music City Grand Prix, which was perhaps the biggest motorsports success of the year. But tell us how you got started. Absolutely, give you a very quick tour of my career. So I started in the business actually uh, 21 years ago. So at uh, March of 2000 in Memphis at the Memphis Motorsports Park, uh, where we hosted NASCAR events, NHRA national events, but also had, as you mentioned, grassroots. Uh, we had a dirt track as well as a road course. So spent 10 years with that company. Uh, I was owned by Dover Motorsports. So a great 10-year run uh, with them. Uh, moved from there down to your neck of the woods, Joe, in Palm Beach, Florida, uh, where I joined uh, as the CEO of Palm Beach International Raceway. And very shortly after getting there, uh, we started expanding that company. And I went on what I like to say is a a uh, four-year spending spree, buying spree, buying up uh, racetracks and sanctioning bodies and uh, all kinds of things across the country. And we uh, ended up selling that to private equity in 2015. Uh, when we sold it, we had uh, 11 different companies that we had all rolled up to uh, what is now, well, what then was IRG, International Raceway Group, uh, Sports Entertainment. Uh, we sold that and then uh, moved on from there, moved back to Nashville, and then shortly after, uh, went to Circuit of the Americas, the U.S. Grand Prix in Formula One. Uh, spent two years there uh, running that venue, uh, as well as the amphitheater, Austin 360. Uh, from there, I uh, was there a couple of years and moved back here to Nashville to start working on this IndyCar race. And this has been a, uh, a five-year, believe it or not, work in progress to get this race uh, done here in Nashville to make this happen. And uh, Love that you say maybe one of the most successful events of, of 2020, first year events. We uh, we like to feel that way internally as well, but we, we've heard a lot of people share that same sentiment. We're very proud of that. Uh, but it did. It took us five long years, but we, we got to there, uh, got to the event and uh, made it happen. And, you know, I feel like it was a fairly successful uh, first year event and was absolutely a good time by all here in Nashville. Excellent. No, well, I, you know, I'm not just saying that because, uh, you know, we, we've worked together in the past. I'm saying that because that's what everybody says. Um, it, it, it's very rare that there is near uniform press for any event, especially in the first year. And frankly, I think Nashville is a bit of the star. Uh, this is a city that's got some buzz right now uh, as one of the hippest places uh, in the world, uh, let alone in the United States of America. 
Uh, before we go any further, though, I have to know where you are. Where are you? I see chassis. I see yes. What is this? I am at Scott Borchetta's Big Machine Racing Shop here in Nashville. So uh, I was told that we wanted a cool background for, uh, and instead of putting something digital up, I thought I would just come over to the race shop instead of, uh, you know, a shot at the stadium of the street course with no racing on it. Uh, thought the race shop would be a, be a great location. So we have a little bit of everything here in this race shop. Some, uh, uh, some Trans Am cars, uh, some SVRA cars, some Corvettes, uh, some vintage. Scott has a little bit of everything. Some vintage Indy cars around the corner. So I uh, just thought it would be, a, would be a great spot to come and uh, do, the, do the broadcast today. No, great job. And he's a serial entrepreneur as well, right? Like Big Machine, the sponsor of the Grand Prix, but they're involved in multiple uh, facets. And I, I can think of some uh, synergies that happen with drag racing, their spirits. That's What's it like being involved with Scott? Absolutely. Scott is absolutely a serial entrepreneur, but huge supporter of our event. Not only is he an investor in our event and helped us get it started, uh, but also our title sponsor. So it is the Big Machine Music City Grand Prix. Uh, and, and you're right. He has multiple brands here. He has the Big Machine Label Group, which is their primary brand. Uh, but also he has the Big Machine Distillery, uh, Big Machine Vodka, uh, the Big Machine Racing Pro Racing Team, uh, which now has an Xfinity team in the NASCAR series, as well as a couple Trans Am teams, some vintage uh, SVRA teams, uh, and as well as two distilleries and bars and restaurants here locally in Nashville. So he has got a, a ton going under that big machine brand. Excellent, excellent. All right, so let's let's talk about um, some of the challenges, though. To go from nothing to something always takes a lot of hard work. And there's a lot of stress, and there's a lot going on behind the scenes. Uh, get us up to speed on, you know, as best as you can in the time we have allotted on how this success happened. Um, I'm sure a lot of local, uh, you know, local government, are they all going to just go along with this idea? Yeah, we got a great idea. That doesn't always happen. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I wish it had been that easy. But, uh, you know, in the end, it, it, it did end up being that easy. It just we went through, uh, honestly, here in Nashville, we went through four mayors in three years. So uh, we had to restart and, and start the conversations all over again four times in a three-year period, uh, which was probably one of the toughest parts of getting this race uh, finalized and getting it on board the, the IndyCar schedule was uh, just getting local government's involvement and getting them to finally approve it. All the mayors were on board with it. They all supported it and they all felt like it was going to be great for Nashville, uh, great economic impact for the city, uh, drive hotel rooms, drive tourism dollars, which it did. Uh, it was just a matter of getting there and getting to that point and making sure that uh, we met all the requirements that the city uh, was asking for and all the all the stakeholders really were asking for but not only the city uh, our other big partner in this was Nissan Stadium and the Tennessee Titans we could not have done this race without them uh, it would not have happened without the property and, and the stadium uh, the assets that they brought to the table I mean they allowed us to dig their their main parking lot up in front of their building and put a pit lane in permanently uh, and so a lot of things had to happen to to make this event but those are the top two is getting the city on board uh, as well as the Convention and Visitors Corp here, uh, and then the Nissan Stadium and Tennessee Titans team. Getting those two uh, entities on board was uh, was crucial to making this happen. And like I said, that took, uh, you know, five years to, to get us to this point. 
And you know what's uh, it's interesting, an analogy, something similar is happening at Hard Rock Stadium, which is right down the street from our studios here in South Florida as we get ready for Formula One in Miami. Uh, they, they're using the, uh, the NFL parking lot, the stadium, they're doing a pit road, just the same thing. I, I can't help but wonder if what you guys did in many ways gave a direction, showed a way and sparked some, uh, some, you know, obviously like, Hey, this is possible. Let's try to do this. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we haven't had any direct conversations with them, but there are a lot of the same people involved. Uh, Tony Cotman being involved with both of those projects, as far as track design standpoint. So you know, I would say that they, they probably learned a little from us as we learned a little from, you know, uh, Long Beach or Toronto or St. Pete. Let's see. Uh, Judy says super cool background, Jason. Uh, <laughs> and I'll be talking to you about Judy a little bit later. And Paul says so amazing how the Music City Grand, uh, Grand Prix looked earlier this year and how similar the Jetta F1 track looks. Uh, except for some extra curves, but you're getting like uniform praise on this. Um, but you know, you came out of the box strong. What about the local community? Did they know what they were getting involved in? Was there, I mean, Nashville, I'm sure there's some motorsports there already, but IndyCar, I don't know. Uh, what was the response you got from like the bars and the restaurants and the people who, you know, this nightlife and live music? Mm -hmm. um, how did you get them involved? Well, I think a lot of that started with the relationship. So a lot of us that are in, involved with the event and our partners and, you know, we all have those relationships here in Nashville and it, and it all boils down to relationships at the end of the day. I think if there was someone from out of town coming in trying to promote this race uh, or this event in Nashville and tried to get the local community involved, it probably would not have gone as smooth. But we, you know, the group of us have a ton of relationships. And so we were able to uh, to fill them in and, and let them know what this was all about. And so they knew a lot about it even before we'd even announced it. Most all the, uh, the large players in town and from a bar and restaurant and entertainment uh, perspective, they were all involved with the event in, in some way, shape or form and uh, had known about it months before it was announced publicly. Those were a group, again, more, more stakeholders that we needed to get on board initially. Uh, we didn't want them you know, fighting against us or even asking a lot of questions after the fact, after it was announced. I mean, we heard a lot of people even outside the city say, oh, are you going to race down Broadway? Absolutely not. No, we're not racing down Broadway. It's the busiest street in the city. And for all, you know, there's 40,000 tourists there at night. So no, we're not looking to close the bars and restaurants along Broadway to race down the middle of Broadway. Uh, we want to use Broadway and, and that, you know, supplements our event and provides us with a built-in nightlife and entertainment and things to do uh, after hours. Uh, and so we, you know, we felt like Broadway was the last place we wanted to race. Uh, and so we looked to design a course that had the, the least amount of interruption to business. Uh, and so all those things that we did on the front end, uh, allowed the local community to really get on board and support this and get behind it from day one, uh, to support not only the event coming, but, uh, the street closures and, all of the things that come along with that, we got very little pushback from businesses here about closing streets for four or five days or uh, putting barriers up uh, two weeks before the event around the city. I mean, it's a, a lot went into this. And as, as you know, with COVID last year, we uh, had a very short time period to plan all this, to go from nothing to a full event in, in 11 months was, uh, was crazy. Uh, we had hoped to have 18 months. We were planning to, we were planning to announce this in March. Uh, it didn't happen until September. Uh, so we had from September 15th to August 5th uh, to have everything from literally no plans and not a single plan on paper to 
developing a plan, signing sanction agreements, designing a course, building blocks. Uh, and we built everything. That's something that you know a lot of people may or may not know, but we built everything that you saw at our facility from a, from a track standpoint, all the concrete barriers, all the fence, uh, all the tire barriers, all of those things we built. We own that. Uh, we have it here in Nashville. It's available. Uh, you know, we can take, we can put that on a truck or a train and take it to another city right now. But uh, it was a lot of work, but we were very fortunate to have the local community on board uh, as well as the, the city and the metro government and the state. All right, let's uh, look forward. We got a couple of questions from some folks out there. Um, you know, you, the, the first one was a hit, um, but now you set the bar and people are going to want to go, right? Like I can already think, in fact, this is where uh, I try to work you for tickets for Judy and myself, because Judy, we want to come, we want to come out there. We want to be in the Jason Rittenberry box for this event at some point in the future. Are we in? You're in. Come on. August 5 through 7. You're here. There it is. There it is. All right. So Kali wants to know. Is there uh, is your agreement to have the same support series for future Big Machine Music City Grand Prix like Trans Am, Super Trucks, et cetera? So how does that work and how do you want it to work and what lies ahead? Well, I think for year one, we, we honestly had not planned to have that much on track activity. It just kind of happened the way it did. It's uh, we initially planned to have IndyCar and one sports car series. Uh, and possibly something along the entertainment lines of super trucks. And so uh, we, we started down that route and then Scott came on board and Scott's actually a, you know, a huge supporter and a racer in the Trans Am series. And so we felt like uh, that was a good series to add. Uh, and then Vintage approached us and we heard from a lot of fans that wanted to see Vintage. Uh, they, don't, they don't run a lot of events each year and they really wanted to see those cars. And so with an inaugural event, we ended up adding Vintage as well. So uh, the full lineup of, of on-track activity was, was pretty spectacular from IndyCar to SRO, GT America, uh, to the Trans Am series, super trucks and vintage. And so moving forward, at least for year two, I uh, can't speak past year two at this point, but for year two, uh, our plan is to keep all of those same series on track uh, and we'll continue with those same series uh, for 2022. Excellent. All right. This next question from Kevin, and it's it's a little, uh, I can see where this is going already, but I'm going to hit it with you. It's uh, hit you with it. It's, um, you know, here's, here's the deal. Jason, can you please address some of the significant issues you encountered with this year's event, such as incomplete spectator grandstands, oversold hospitality venues, i.e. the East Side Club, and you can discuss, can you discuss why spectator access was limited compared to other IndyCar events? And so I don't know if the answer is right, but I'm going to answer for you. Hey, first year event. That's my uh, assessment, but please address uh, Kevin's concerns. Yeah, absolutely, Kevin. I can address each and every one of those. And, and you know, we, we've not tried to hide from any of those. We addressed all of those immediately. There was one grandstand that did not get completed until Sunday. Uh, we absolutely did everything in our power. It was not us. It's not Jason and my staff out putting that grandstand up. Uh, those are third-party vendors. You know, we had a contract. They had schedules. We had dates. They knew the date it had to be completed. Uh, with the labor issues that everyone in, the, in not even our industry, everyone in every industry is facing right now, they came short, came up short on some labor. Uh, they did not get one grandstand finished. They had 11 to do in seven days. It was a very tight schedule. There was very, very little room for error. Uh, it did happen. Uh, we, we could not get one finished, and I hated it. I stayed up all night Friday to try and get it finished. I was up Saturday night to get it finished. 
Uh, Doug Bowles, the president of Indianapolis Motor Speedway, was out there Saturday night with me sitting trying to push these guys to get this done. So, you know, everyone did everything in our power to make that happen, uh, including bringing additional labor, finding additional labor for those guys. But at the end of the day, yes, it was a failure. Yes, it did not get completed, but it, there was not a lot we could do about it. I mean, we did everything in our power to make that happen. Now, after it did happen, uh, we did our absolute very best to take care of every person that was sitting in those grandstands Friday and Saturday, trying to relocate them to other areas. Sunday, that was sold out. There was nowhere to relocate them to, but their grandstand was open. So uh, everyone in that grandstand received a full refund, all of their money back for Friday and Saturday as well. Uh, we're still allowed to attend the event. Yes, they did not have a grandstand seat or not everyone had a grandstand seat. And I regret that that happened. And I hate that it happened. It, like you said, Joe, it, it was a first year event. There was, it was a vendor. Uh, that vendor's obviously been replaced. That vendor will not be back for year two. There was someone else building grandstands for year two. Uh, but we did everything that we knew in our power to make it right for those fans. We offered them additional seats. We refunded their money. We gave them uh, credit vouchers for food and beverage on the Friday and Saturday of the event. So from a customer service standpoint, we did everything we could to take care of that. That There was a little we could do to avoid that happening. Like I said, it was a third-party vendor. Uh, with regards to uh, Eastside Club and being oversold, uh, yeah, that, I will credit that to, to being a first-year event. We went with what the Titans use, uh, being in their venue. We used their numbers on what Eastside Club could hold. Uh, what we didn't take into account as much as we probably should have is everyone would be in there at the same time. We thought in our mind and based on our, you know, everyone on our team and our experience in the industry, we felt uh, that most of the people would not be in there all at one time. Uh, some would be out in the paddock, some would be walking around, some would be in the fan zone, some would be in other areas, et cetera. Uh, but at sometimes there were everyone there at once and it was crowded. Yes, we've reduced the capacity of East Club moving forward for next year. Uh, we've added a, a uh, which we haven't even announced yet, but we've added a grandstand for that East Club that's going to be on at the start finish line uh, right behind the flag stand. So those folks will have a grandstand to go down to if, uh, if they don't have a great view inside the club. So uh, all of those things, yes, they happened. Uh, it was a first year event. There were learning uh, opportunities for us. We've addressed them. Uh, we're doing everything we can to to make them better moving forward into year two. Uh, and the last issue is, uh, you know, I'll, I'll probably disagree with Kevin a little bit on this. It wasn't severely limited. Uh, there were 6,000 people in there uh, in the IndyCar paddock. And so uh, we could not open it up to the general public because at the time when our event was announced and our ticket sales were announced, uh, IndyCar was not sure if the our paddock was even going to be open or not. Uh, the several events leading up to ours, the paddock was closed because of COVID. Uh, we weren't sure if we were going to have an open paddock or not. So we could not even put those on sale until uh, 60 days prior to the event. So, uh, you know, at the end of the day, it's not our paddock. We don't control it. We don't control the number of people that are in it. So uh, we sell what, what we're able to sell and what IndyCar feels comfortable with. So, uh, you yeah. know. Good answer. Good. We'll, we'll sell as much as we can. Jason, good answer. Thank you for addressing it. Everything can't be positive, but I like I, you know, the glass is half full kind of deal. Like you guys put on an amazing event in the first year. Of course, there's going to be some issues. There always is. 
Um, but you addressed them, and I, I love what you did. So uh, Stephen has a question about the track configuration, though. Like, did drivers give useful feedback? Will there be any reconfiguration to allow for more green flag racing? Absolutely. Uh, yes. Again, first year event uh, is what happened there. I mean, it, it's what we designed the track. Tony Cotman designed the track in conjunction with IndyCar. The drivers were here. The drivers uh, reviewed it. They drove in uh, simulations all leading up to the event. Uh, and so it, it, at the end of the day, I feel like some drivers got a little aggressive uh, and we're all you know, going to battle for that first year inaugural win in, in Nashville at a new event. That was exciting. So uh, we, you know, we did what we could with regards to the track. Uh, Tony Cotman is making some changes to it for next year, along with IndyCar. Uh, and they are uh, moving, will be moving the restarts. So there will be more green flag racing. Uh, Excellent. Excellent. Sasha's out there. What can fans look forward to in 2022 with the Grand Prix? So, uh, and this is, this is where you tell everybody where they can get the tickets, Jason, right here. Just uh, go into it. I think the buzz around the event speaks for itself. The city's got buzz. The event has got buzz. What about 2022 and how can we be there? Absolutely. Everyone can be there. Uh, MusicCityGP.com. Tickets uh, not available yet. Uh, our renewals will be starting in early January, and then by mid-January, uh, new tickets will be on sale. Uh, we are adding additional reserve grandstands for 22. Uh, we sold out of all three-day reserve grandstands last year, so we're adding new grandstands for this year. Uh, there'll be 10 to 15% uh, increase in reserve grandstand seats available. Uh, look for some amazing concert announcements. I think that was, you know, the one thing that we, we haven't touched on a lot, Joe, and, and I'll just say it very quickly is, you know, our event was more about the event itself. It was not just about a race. Uh, the race was the reason that we had the event, but uh, we tried to create an event that encompassed all of the city, that encompassed what Nashville is. Uh, Nashville knows how to throw a party, and that was our goal. That's what we tried to do, and I feel like we did that. Uh, there's some improvements we could make. There's some, you know, improvements we could make to the racing, and we're going to do all those things. But overall, at the end of the day, I think everyone that came here had a great time. Uh, the concerts were amazing. Bill Street, or excuse me, uh, Broadway was great to add to uh, the excitement of, of the event and provide entertainment every night. And so for 22, fans can expect that plus more, uh, even more music, more concerts, bigger names, bigger acts, uh, and tons of on-track racing excitement again. Very good. Very good. Well, you got me excited about the, the big musical acts in Nashville. I know you're going to have people that want to be involved in. I'm sure having a successful event makes it easier to book big acts because they know they're going to be associated with something positive. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, being in Nashville and uh, first year event, a lot of the artists wanted to be involved with it. Unfortunately, timing for us uh, coming right out of COVID at that time, you know, I say we hit, we hit the perfect time. There was a little bubble there that uh, people thought COVID was over before it really kicked back in and we fell right in that window. Uh, but unfortunately for us, that fell right in the window that all the artists went back out on tour. So while we had some big names, we had some great artists here. We had great concerts every night. There were some even bigger names that really wanted to be a part of it. Uh, but they were out on the road. They were touring. They already had shows booked for that weekend. And so uh, now that we're far enough out that they know the date, they know when it is, they're putting it on the calendar. So uh, a lot of the artists, the big name artists in Nashville want to be a part of this event. They're adding it to their calendar and uh, we'll see a lot of them on stage uh, August 5 through 7 
next August 22. Where does this uh, fall? You know, you've done a lot of things that I'm sure are pretty rewarding to you, but uh, from something to nothing in 11 months and putting on a hit of an event, where does this fall? Yeah, I mean, I would say this is probably at the top of the list. It's, it's pretty close. I mean, some of the things I've done in the past have, have been very rewarding, but most all of those were already in existence when I got there. So I was able to continue with them and, and hopefully improve them and make them better and, uh, and grow them. But this one did not exist. And as you said, we went from nothing, not existing, no event at all to, to putting on, uh, you know, a hell of an event in 11 months. And everybody had a great time in downtown Nashville. Lawrence says he'd love to see an IndyCar race in the Northeast. Your thoughts, please put it on your to-do list. What about that, Jason? Is this a package that you can bring to other locations? Absolutely. Uh, and it's not out of the question for us down the road. Uh, we never know what the future is going to bring, but uh, we do own everything to able to, to put on truck or put on a train, a rail car and, and take the, take the road on the show on the road. Uh, we have all the concrete blocks and barriers and, uh, catch fence and tire barriers and the pedestrian bridges and everything we need literally other than grandstands and suites which you know we, we built here in Nashville we can build in other cities so who knows what the future will bring but for right now uh, we're focused on Nashville and, and New City Grand Prix and making this uh, the best event we can and, and the improvements for 22. And your general assessment of our larger motorsport community as someone who has been involved in literally all aspects now, touching Formula One, drag racing, sprint cars, Indy cars, stock cars, uh, when you look at the you know the greater landscape, how positive are you? What is your general uh, attitude about what we're looking at in the future? Well, you know, I'm excited about the future. I'm you know, like you said, I have been involved with a lot. I've seen a lot, and I think there's several areas that are uh, that are on the on the rise, and I think IndyCar and open wheel racing is one of those. Uh, Formula One and their you know Netflix series has done a lot for us in open wheel racing in, in America, whether it's Formula One or IndyCar or anything else. It's uh, it is popular and it is becoming uh, more mainstream now because of that show and because of that series. And so I think uh, that's done a lot for us. Uh, we'll continue to ride the wave of that. Uh, and I'm very happy to be right where I am, right with the series that we have and uh, look forward to, to seeing the growth of, of open wheel racing in IndyCar, uh, not only here in Nashville, but uh, the entire series. Well, and they, they are looking good as well. You got to have good drivers, right? Like you have to have good personalities that people want to root for. And I think IndyCar has that right now and some interesting, uh, you know, characters and the cars are, are cool and getting cooler. And those are all like little elements that make people want to watch. Absolutely. And IndyCar has all of that. I think uh, we've got a great mix of drivers right now. Uh, looking forward to, uh, you know, let's see what, what comes down the road. And then uh, in the future, there's a lot of drivers uh, moving up into the IndyCar series and uh, looking forward to working with them in the future. And Kevin, who asked the question about the Grand Prix, says, Jason, thank you very much for addressing my questions. You could have dodged that question, but you did not. I tried to be respectful. And he goes on to say thank you. Um, and, uh, you know, he had a good time with him and his wife. And uh, that's great. So thank you for addressing that. You know, I think call positive and puff. And you, uh, you attack that right uh, head on. And I appreciate it. Uh, Jason, I see Francisque and Judy are back. Judy, he says we're... He I just want to say I'm so proud of you for what you produced. I heard nothing but great, you know, awesome. and 
and especially in today's world, it's so upside down and there's so many unforeseen obstacles. Things go wrong no matter what in a normal year. So I'm, I'm we, thrilled for you. Well, we had a few of those upside down obstacles, but I think we, uh, we did our best to manage them and manage through them. And, and in the end of the day, our goal always was to put on a great event and take care of the fans. And that's, yeah. uh, you know, as Kevin said, we never tried to dodge or hide from any of those issues. We addressed them all head on. We used them all as learning experiences. And every one of those we addressed, not only immediately, but we've addressed multiple times since then and looked at every you know, way, shape, or form to, to improve the event, to make it better, uh, and to hopefully put ourselves in a position to not have to be addressing those issues year two. There will be other issues that come up. It's, it's an event. It's a temporary circuit. It's on the streets of a downtown. Everything is built temporary within a, you know, 10 to 14 day period. So issues are going to come up. It's going to happen, but it's how we manage them and and how we take care of our fans. And that's our goal at the end of the day. Well, I think you did a great job. Thank you, Judy. We hope you hope you and Joe really do make it here in August. I'm putting on my calendar. Well, you did a hell of a job. Thanks, Jason. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you, Jason. Thank you very much, Jason. And thank you all for having me. The concept for ePart Trade is basically, in my opinion, there's a big hole in the internet. So the internet started many years ago, but there's never been an online business community for racers on the World Wide Web. The need for ePart Trade is actually quite obvious. Basically, people in the business of auto racing need a place online to hang out and get their problems solved. It's extremely simple for a buyer or for a supplier to interact on the platform. The first thing you need to do is sign in, which is free. And the second thing is when you see a product that you're interested in, all you need to do is click on request more information. If it's a company, you click on request more information. And then from there, it is forwarded directly to the buyer or to the supplier. You can go to epartrade.com, you become part of a community of businesses in racing, and it makes uh, sourcing products much easier than just on the internet or using Google. At epartrade, there is no e-commerce. It's literally a connection just like at a trade show. So now, any time of the year, a buyer could reach out to a supplier through an email. More than that, it's a place to go just to keep current every day. So it's a good place to start your workday in your racing business or in your offices of your professional race team. And you know you're current when it comes to new technology, industry news, technical papers, technical videos, all of that and more. We're not looking for a million hits per day. All we want is people who are really the volume buyers of racing products in the racing industry to be part of the little world of ePart trade. We have racing businesses participating from around the world. So you get suppliers from around the world, you get buyers from around the world. ePAR Trade really eliminates having to travel, closing down your shop. Now you have a place to showcase globally your racing product and technology. There are two types of people, racers and everyone else. Racer Magazine is for those who believe that racing is a way of life. Racer embodies the excellence that defines a sport driven by passion, courage, and ingenuity. Get one year of both Racer's print and digital edition for only $39.
with instant access to our entire digital issue archive. Subscribe now at info.racer.com.